wish this was more of like a Christmas type message, but it's really not. So um, it does have the name Herod in it. So that's kind of Christmassy, right? Um, <laughs> but anyway, so um, uh, turn your Bibles to Acts chapter 12. And we're going to be finished. We're, actually, we're only going through the first half of Acts in this fall series. And uh, we've, you don't know this, we've, we've started a four-year plan starting this past uh, September, um, trying to expose you guys to all different types of scripture. And so we'll do some series from books of the Bible, and some are going to be more topical. And so I've kind of got like the next four years kind of loosely laid out. So if you're a freshman, it's like, that's what I'm, I'm thinking about. Like, what do you need to have by the time you graduate here? And um, so Acts is really us putting narrative scripture in front of you. Like, this is what it looks like to study the narrative part of the scriptures. And so this is our last one in Acts tonight. And uh, we've seen the gospel message move all over. And we've talked, we've talked about how we see gospel movement throughout the book of Acts. And, uh, and this gospel message moved uh, throughout this part of the world. It did so despite great, op- great opposition, uh, persecution, and suffering. In fact, uh, persecution seemed to help spread the message. We've seen that in other chapters as well. The good news about Jesus um, spread from Jerusalem, goes all over that part of the world. Um, but today we're going to see how persecution comes to the church in Jerusalem. And so uh, today's passage reads kind of like a movie scene. So we're going to look at this in a various little stages here. Acts chapter 12, looking at verse 1. Let me click this slide here. There we go. It says, about that time, Herod, the king, laid violent hands on some who belonged to the church. He killed James, the brother of John, with the sword. And when, he saw, and when he saw that it pleased the Jews, he proceeded to arrest Peter also. This was during the days of unleavened bread, which is the Passover. And when he had seized him, he put him in prison, delivering him over to four squads of soldiers to guard him, intending after the Passover to bring him out to the people. So Peter was kept in prison... But earnest prayer for him was made to God by the church. So you you might recognize the name Herod, of course, but there are many Herods in the Bible. So this is not the one who tried to put baby Jesus to death. So it's not really all that Christmassy at all when I say his name. But um, there was Herod the Great, and he was the one that tried to put baby Jesus to death and and other young infants in in that part of the world at the time. Um, But this is his grandson. This is Herod Agrippa, a different Herod. Now, most of the time, whenever we think of the Jewish people, we think of them being in direct opposition to someone like Herod. But that wasn't always the case. Um, This Herod was like a regional king over this area, but the emperor of Rome wanted peace. And so anything that the Herods could do to keep the peace with the Jewish people was considered a positive in the eyes of the Roman emperor. So many of these Herods actually tried to find ways to you know, maybe kiss up to the Jewish people or placate them or kind of curry favor with them um, as they were uh, trying to kind of win political points. Even though they're not like doing elections like today, they still wanted to keep the peace and keep their, the people under them somewhat happy. So he wanted the favor of the Jewish people. So he claimed to be a Jew, and he really could claim that because his own grandmother was Jewish. So this is a claim that he really could make. So everybody got what they wanted. So the Roman emperor got peace. The Jews felt like they had someone that, that's kind of like them as their king. And, uh, and Herod would even go to the temple every day, and he would read from the Jewish scriptures. And, uh, but the thing is, this was all an act. He, he was trying to earn points. So just like some politicians do today, they try to curry favor with 
maybe people that are Christians or what have you, um, and, and say they believe certain things when they really don't. And this was happening back then as well. So he's doing all this as kind of a facade in front of the Jewish people. Now what we see when, when the gospel message begins to spread, Herod sees this new thing called the way or, or, or Christianity that's, 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 pro, that's cropping up. He sees all of this as a rebellion against Judaism. And so now he wants to put down the rebellion. So he wants peace, and he sees this as a threat. And so what does he do? Well, he has James, who's one of the 12. He has him killed. And then the Jews react. They're really happy about this. And so, uh, so then he arrests Peter as well and plans to have Peter killed. And this all happens during Passover. And the thing is, they weren't allowed to execute people during Passover, so he has to wait. And so while Peter's in prison, the church hears about this plan that Peter got arrested. He's about to be executed. And so the church begins praying fervently. I'm going to summarize for you verses 6 through 11 real quick. So, we're in the, so Peter's in the jail cell, and the night before the execution, Peter is fast asleep. So just imagine that for a moment. Peter's about to be, he knows his execution's coming, but he's sleeping and he's sleeping pretty well because he's so at peace with, with God's sovereignty. He's bound by chains. He's sleeping between these two soldiers that are guarding him. There are soldiers guarding the gates. There is no physical way he can get out of the situation he's in. But then this angel shows up, wakes him up, and says, get dressed. And so he's expecting to be awakened, but not by an angel. He's expecting to be awakened and, and taken off to be put to death the next morning. But this angel wakes him up. And he's not sure if this is real. It actually shows in verses 6 through 11 that he's questioning, is this, is this real life? Is this really happening? And uh, you recall the vision that Megan talked about two weeks ago. Uh, he thinks he might be seeing things again. So this angel leads him out, and he knows the church is praying for him. So he goes right to the house that they're having this prayer meeting for him on his behalf. So look with me down in verse 13, where it says, And when he knocked at the door of the gateway, a girl... A servant girl named Rhoda came to answer. Recognizing Peter's voice, in her joy, she did not open the gate, but ran in and reported that Peter was standing at the gate. They said to her, you're out of your mind. But she kept insisting that it was so. And they kept saying, it must be his angel. So now while they're praying for Peter, Peter knocks on the door. And this servant girl goes to the door, hears his voice. And after recognizing him, she runs back in and says, it's Peter, it's Peter, it's Peter. But they don't believe her. But then she insists, and they're like, well, maybe, it's his maybe he's already put to, been put to death. Maybe it's his angel or something like that. And they think he might be already dead. Look down at verse 16. But Peter continued knocking, and when they opened, they saw him and were amazed. But motioning to them with his hand to be silent, he described to them how the Lord had brought him out of the prison. And he said, tell these things to James and to the brothers. Then he departed and went to another place. So what's funny about this whole scene is that Peter's at the door, she hears his voice, she runs in to tell him it's Peter, and Peter's outside still knocking, like, hey, I'm out here in the street, you know? And uh, he's out there still knocking, so they finally let him in, and he wants them to be quiet, so he gives a, you know, kind of hand motion, say, hey, be quiet, don't talk so loud, we don't give ourselves away. And he tells them what happened, and he wants them to go tell his friends. So I'll summarize again for you verses um, 18 through 19. So daybreak comes, and there's this disturbance that breaks out. So once these guards and everyone realizes Peter's gone, he's escaped somehow, um, well, the, the punishment for that was going to be death. 
if someone escaped on your watch. And so Herod wants these men killed. And then we get to verse 19. If you look in your Bibles, you can see it. I don't have it on the screen. But it says, then Herod left. We assume that he put these men to death that were trying to guard Peter. Then it says he left Judea and went to Caesarea. So why does that matter? Well, Caesarea was the most Roman city in that region. And so some think maybe he's fleeing because he's scared the Jews are going to be upset that Peter escaped. Maybe they're going to come after him. Um, but maybe he's giving, he's giving up the facade of, of being a Jewish king or being someone who's trying to give favor to the Jews. So we've already seen God miraculously intervene in Peter's release, but then there's another miracle that occurs in verse 20. Look at verse 20. It says, Now Herod was angry with the people of Tyre and Sidon, and they came to him with one accord, and having persuaded Blastus, the king's chamberlain, they asked for peace because their country depended on the king's country for food. On an appointed day, Herod put on his royal robes, took his seat upon the throne, and delivered an oration to them. And the people were shouting, the voice of a God and not of a man. Immediately, an angel of the Lord struck him down because he did not give God the glory. And he was eaten by worms and breathed his last. So now we're not, we're not sure why Herod is angry with these two cities. But one day, Herod decides to make a speech to these two cities that he has an issue with. And we don't know what he said, but the crowd's response was disturbing because they say, they say about Herod, they say he's a god and not a man, and then Herod receives their worship. So then what does God do? God strikes him dead right on the spot because we worship a God that doesn't, doesn't give his glory to somebody else. And then look at the last verse, verse 24, and it says, but the word of God increased and multiplied. And so there you see that theme all throughout Acts where no matter what happens to the people of God, whether it's suffering or persecution or a bad circumstance, we see this other thing that happens, which is, but the word of God is increased and is multiplied throughout that region. And so again, we have someone trying to stamp out what God is doing, but God, through his miraculous work, he sets Peter free, but then he puts Herod to death. So you see like how the tables turned so quickly. You've got someone who, it looks like it's going to be their last day, but God sets them free miraculously, and, and Peter goes on to share the gospel with many people after this situation. But then God puts Herod to death when Herod receives the, the worship of this crowd of people because God's gospel movement will not be stopped. And so um, it's really, I think us sitting here today, so many thousands of miles away, as believers, if you do consider yourself a, a follower of Christ, is we, we're benefiting from those miracles. We're benefiting from the gospel moving throughout this part of the world and beyond because we're this many thousands of miles away, and yet here we are Christ, following Christ right here in Temple, Texas. So what do we learn? I'll, I'll give you a couple things we learned from this, and you guys will go to breakouts here in a second. Um, what do we learn from this passage? Well, first I think we learn that God answers prayer in his time and in his way. So remember, Peter's in prison. He's about to be executed. But the church is praying for him. They're praying fervently for him. And this whole thing plays out like a movie scene, and, and it shows that God still has work to do. And so God answers prayer in his time and in his way. So I want to ask you a question. What is something that you have stopped praying for? What is something that would require a miracle 
for God to do it or for it to be pulled off. If you go to the Peter story, even if Peter had been executed in this story, we would still say that God is just as sovereign. God is just as in control. Because what happens later in Peter's life is that he was executed later. So this is the the movie scene where the person gets away and it's this miracle, it's a happy ending. But later on in Peter's life, he does get executed for his faith. And we would say God is just as sovereign in both situations. And so the church is praying fervently for him and for his release and his safety. So the question is, how do you view God's sovereignty in your own life when you encounter these kind of situations? Second thing I think we learn is, we, we see a king that wants to co-opt faith to get what he wants politically. And we see the same thing today. I'm not going to mention any names. We see the same thing today, don't we? And it's important that we, do, that we do not do that ourselves, but also that we don't play along when people in power try to curry favor with believers so they can get ahead politically. It's important that we don't play into that game with them. It leads us to compromise our faith. It leads us to um, taint the reputation of Christ when we play that game. And so a third point I want you to understand is not only do we struggle with idolatry, but we long to be worshipped just like Herod was worshipped by these people. I don't think we say that out loud. We don't say things. We don't say it out loud, but I think that's the reality of our hearts. So what are some ways that you and I seek to be the object of someone else's worship? or affection in the way that, um, that Herod is doing here in this story? How far will you and I go to feel affirmed or loved or adored by people? It's a great question for us to think about. And then to wrap up, at the beginning of this book, the church consists of about 100 Christians in one city, Jerusalem, and all they had was a mission from God, and they had the Holy Spirit to help them. That was it. And now we see there, there are Christians that are outside the borders of Israel, even the most unlikely converts. We see that happen all throughout Acts. We see the Ethiopian eunuch. We see Paul, who was killing Christians. He becomes a believer, a follower of Christ. We see Cornelius, this Gentile officer who comes to know Christ as well. And so we see all through Acts that there truly nothing, nothing is impossible with, with God. And so as we go into discussion here, um, I'll pray for you, and you guys can head to your breakouts. Let me pray for you. God, thank you for um, just the story of the church, the early church, and how we see just miraculous movement. And God, we know that we've needed a miracle. We always need a miracle for someone to come to know you. And God, I pray that um, for those that are in this room right now that are maybe struggling with doubts and questions, and they've, they've not crossed over from unbelief to belief yet, I pray that you'd bring them to a place of belief and trust and faith in you and salvation, and I pray they would come to that place tonight as they, as they hear the stories of, of, of how your gospel has moved throughout history, and then here we are, they're hearing your gospel, hearing the good news about Jesus tonight here. God, I pray that you'd bring them to faith. I also pray for, for those that are believers that are just struggling with, with all kinds of questions or doubts. I pray that you would um, meet them right where they're at tonight as well in these discussions. We pray this in your name. Amen. All right, guys, so we're going to go to...